Hey, and welcome to Gizmo Sapiens Show 208, Crypto. And no, we're not talking about Superman's canine companion. We're talking about cryptocurrency. And, you know, I'm Chris, and with me today is... I am Matt. And uh, I am a big supporter of crypto, because why is, why, what, what makes crypto something to support? It is free, as in beer. It is something that gives you liberty uh, and it's something that the government cannot control which is why i think and i think matt thinks the same way that all these bogus statements that are being put out by uh, governments across the world about crypto is because they fear the fact that if there's a currency that has value that they can't tax and they can't control through whatever means that, that they have, you know, like, and the US currency is really controlled by the Fed. Um, that's the Federal Reserve for any of our listeners outside of the US. Um, who can determine, instead of letting the free market be the free market, they set interest rates and, and things like that to kind of, you know, supposedly to help control inflation. but. In reality, a lot of times they they do it to... Well, it's not necessarily to control inflation because sometimes inflation is good. Yeah. Let's, let's admit that. But it's, a, it's an artificial control over the economy that's not ultimately healthy. Correct. But that's what I mean about controlling inflation because yeah. you're right. There, inflation is not necessarily a bad thing, you know. I mean, honestly, we would have we we would have uh, benefited from uh, from from some inflation during the dot com bubble. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. We're not benefiting from inflation right now, though. No, no, we're not. But but that being said, you know, I I, I always whenever I hear somebody in any government, it doesn't have to be the U.S. government, complain about something like cryptocurrency, um, which, I mean, there's good things and there's bad things about cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency is very volatile because it is, in many ways, it is like a stock or a bond or probably more like a commodity. So like when you buy things on the commodities market, so, you know, you buy 100,000 pork belly shares um, and then you short them at the or or like day traders in you know so you you buy a penny stock you know a hundred thousand shares of a penny stock and it goes to two and a half cents and so you short the whole thing at the end of the day uh you know and you double your your ten thousand dollars to twenty five thousand dollars or whatever um <clears throat> that's the way cryptocurrency is but if you look at cryptocurrency in a long term like some of the more popular ones like bitcoin or uh, Ethereum, Ethereum Classic, Monero, they're relatively stable. They're not stable on a day-to-day -day basis, but long-term they're stable. But that's the way you have to view any investment. Correct. Correct. Well, it, but that's the thing. A lot. I think a lot of people who got into crypto, uh, they were in this whole thing, particularly when you got in early, like with Bitcoin, when you could mine Bitcoin with you know your PC at home and not a dedicated ASIC or whatever. 
um, you could, you know, people were making gains, huge gains. You know, you'd, you'd mine, you know, 100 coins or 1,000 coins in a week, and the 20 or $30 that you invested in electricity to, to mine those coins was, you know, rewarded not tenfold, but a thousandfold back to you, you know. And, uh, you know, the rise, even two years ago, when we look at the, the rise of Bitcoin, you know, a single Bitcoin was only worth about $10,000, and today it's, it, it's worth over forty. Now, where people panic is because if you have something that's worth $40,000, and say, say you have 10 Bitcoin, which is $400,000, and it drops 4% in a day, you've lost a lot of money, you know? You've lost 40 grand at least. And people panic because 40 grand is a lot of money. $40,000 is a lot of money. Whereas a buddy of mine used to say 40 large. But again, there's nothing different between Bitcoin and stock and Ford. Correct. You know, I mean, it's correct. Well, the, the difference volatile is, every day. Yeah, but the difference is, is Ford stock's not worth forty thousand well, dollars a share. <laughs> you, you get what I'm. Yeah, you, you yeah. get the point I'm trying to make. E- even the most valuable company in the world, Apple, their stock is not near forty thousand dollars a share. But you're not going to buy an entire coin. No. Well, and that's one of the differences too. Where it is, it's a coin. You can buy pieces and parts of it. You know, I don't own nearly. I own a. F- a very tiny small fraction of Bitcoin and I still have several hundred dollars in Bitcoin you know but the other thing I think that scares them is because at the end of the day what does money or or in the case of fiat currency fiat currency is the currency of your government you know that's issued by the government what does fiat currency represent anymore uh, wish and a prayer yeah but, uh, I, I mean, mean, back in the day, we were on the gold standard. But but even I mean, even it, it's a representation of value for goods and services, and so people exchange just like they exchange a dollar bill yeah. for a candy bar. They exchange crypto for goods and services, probably more so in the services market than the goods market. And and yes, has crypto been used in bad things? Yeah, it's been used on the dark web. So is web, cash. But so is cash. Well, <clears throat> this is what kills me. And it's probably why the U.S. dollar will remain, at least in the foreseeable future, remain the uh, most used currency in the world for doing business. <laughs> it's not for legitimate reasons. I mean, the... British pound sterling, which is backed by sterling silver, has always been more valuable than an individual dollar. Um, but the underground world uses U.S. currency. They probably of of all of the currency that is out in public hands, eighty percent of it's probably used by foreign governments to fund undesirable things. Well, and not just governments, well, but cartels. I'm, and, I'm adding a cartel, a terrorist group. They're a form of government over a group of people. 
But you know, this is uh, the Catholic Church. I mean, this that's is a good example. <laughs> oh my God! Thank God, Professor Sean's not here. Um, this is why the Secret Service spends so much time in anti-counter. But that's uh, what their job is. Their job is not to protect the president. Oh yeah. Secret Service was created for as a division of the IRS or of the Treasury, Treasury Department. Department. To prevent counterfeiting and, and do investigations on fraud and, and things involving counterfeiting money, U.S. money. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm not even real sure how the Secret Service got protective details because initially it was the Pinkerton agency that, that was hired that. to come in and yep. protect the president until I'm sure somebody in the government said well this 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 should be a government operation uh, and let's let's put the money guys on it because yeah that makes sense yeah well elliot ness was a treasury agent there you go but that being said um you know they're they're there is a free market out there who's exchanging cryptocurrency. You know, and one of the things that you can do with cryptocurrency is you can use exchanges. Some of the exchanges act like banks where you can park your cryptocurrency. You have a wallet there, which is essentially an account that you can deposit your money in and then you can spend your money out of that wallet. Um, but you can also have a wallet that exists on your phone on a uh, dedicated crypto device. Um, you know, like a USB fob that... Uh... Here's the struggle that I have with crypto. Mm -hmm. Until I can go to my local Walmart and buy my groceries with it without having to go through a third party, I don't know that it has now, today, that level of, uh, of usefulness. Today you can do that. Um, I don't have the, my other wallet, but... Um, a lot of these crypto exchanges, like I said, they're, they're like banks. They're not banks, and right. they're not regulated like banks. So not regulated at all, really. Well, in the U.S., there is some regulation, you know. Um, and in the U I, I know that a lot of the European ones, there's some regulation, too. But what they do is, I mean, they're more akin to, like, being a bank slash a trading house. Because they provide all the functions to convert, to buy and sell, um, and all of that, as well as, you know, essentially accounts to hold your funds that you can withdraw from directly as opposed to, you know, having to transfer it to a bank like you would with a, a brokerage account or something like that. Um, <clears throat> but a lot of them issue MasterCards and Visas, like debit cards, and you can just spend the money out of your account. Uh, there are places like in Vegas where you can take an ATM card and you can just go convert your money right out of your crypto account into fiat currency. Um, in South America, there's a... Is it Venezuela? Not Venezuela. One of the South American countries, I can't remember. They have made Bitcoin their standard... Their national currency? Their national currency. Wow. And so all the ATMs actually issue you money out of your Bitcoin account. Hmm. And there were a couple of American entrepreneurs who who've gone in in South America and 
and kind of started that economy up, but it, it's taking on, uh, you know, it's growing. And, and I think you'll see, right now the problem is like going to local Walmart or Kroger's and, and using your Bitcoin account is half of them, well, neither of them use Google Pay or Apple Pay, which are the two biggest payment options. And I mean, I use Apple Pay everywhere. Um, and, you know, until they get on board with that, you're not going to see them get on board with doing anything but, but like a MasterCard or a Visa or a Discover card. You know, kind of the traditional. Well, even even that I think is is more um, more like traditional. You know. Yeah. Uh, commerce. You know, I, I hadn't thought of that. That's probably the the best uh, medium for 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 that sort of transaction because it's no difference between the 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 card working with a bank versus your crypto account well exactly and i mean the, the way those work is no different than the way um paypal does the same thing i have a paypal card that just withdraws the funds directly from my paypal account exactly. and paypal has gotten into crypto where now you can fund your account with crypto and store it there and and everything else it's limited at this moment but it'll grow um, as more and more online services take it you know and even Tesla for a long time was taking Bitcoin directly you could order a Tesla and pay for it in Bitcoin how very millennial yeah but you know I think all this government worry and all of this government intervention or trying to intervene in, in, in this is, like we were talking about before, it, it, it's the government trying to step in and, and I was regulate the free market. I was literally going to make the exact same point. We were just talking about this in the last episode where yep. Boeing was like, Oh, SpaceX is bad because you know it's they're they're breaking the mold and we're scared. This is the same thing all over again. Exactly. This is this is government playing the role of Boeing. So we we're we're cutting out the middleman finally. Yeah, exactly. And we're and we're finally getting government to say, hey, here's an innovation. We're scared of it because we can't control it. It's the exact same well, thing. It, you know, and a lot of it's not about. Con- I think they can't control it. It's they don't understand it. I hate, oh. I hate to say this about about government, but and there are some smart people. There are in government. I mean, Rand Paul is a doctor. It it takes a lot of knowledge but to you be know a what, doctor. Though, but you have to be one of those guys that understands there are limits to your personal knowledge correct. and accept and most, that there are people most, who are smarter yeah. than you on this other topic. And Congress is lousy with that. Yeah, they're yeah. they're they they are in, incapable of understanding that there are people who are smarter than they are and more capable of, of leading our lives. Well, what's funny is, you know, I, I always love it when they, like, would bring the social media guys in and, and have them talk to Congress. And you get these congressmen who are 10,000 years older than dirt, and, you know, they, they barely understand how to use a, a cell phone. And, you know, they're asking questions and they're, you know, and you you see, it's hard to not. Be, I mean, I, I totally get it. You you see Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dempsey and and Sergey Brin and you know, and you name a tech exec, they've all sat in front of them, and it's like 
you don't understand the technology that runs the world today. You know, you, you still think the phone is tied to a cable that goes into the wall. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and they roll their eyes and they try patiently to try to explain what they're doing, but there's such a gap in understanding, you know. And the other thing, the, the well, other, what makes that the other problem is, is with a lot of these government folks is they're not, they, they're not doctors and scientists. And, uh, the majority of them aren't. They're lawyers. Well, yeah, but <laughs> that, that aside, I mean, it's, it's not just Congress itself. It's, it's the agencies that, that make up the bureaucracy. Oh, absolutely. These are, these are not people who are in it because they're leaders in their field. Thought no, leaders no. in their field. They're in it because, you know, it's, that's the bureaucratic way. Exactly. Well, it, it, and you know, so the, it's kind of funny, we, you, we talk about this and the understanding of, you know, okay, people, you know, people say, oh, it's a fad, it's going to go away. If it were a fad, a doubt NVIDIA, who's making dedicated mining cards, you know, GPU mining cards, that are designed to, um, to process blockchain transactions, uh, much more efficiency than just their general purpose video cards. And now Intel is jumping on that and building not GPUs, but dedicated CPU ASIC type uh, processors that do the same thing. And the reason I say that this is not a fly-by-night thing is because the, the development and the ability to produce these things is not a trivial thing. Exactly. You can say it, this could be a fad yeah. at, at the beginning. Correct. You know, but crypto's been around long enough that... It's been around a lot longer than most people realize. Oh. Most people would think, crypto, oh, it's been around for the last three or four years. Mm. Bitcoin's been around for quite a long time, and a lot of the altcoins, other, other cryptocurrencies... And they've been around quite a while too, you know. Hell, I've been mining uh, Ethereum and Ethereum Classic for probably six years at this point. More than that. Six or seven years. You know, yeah. and people were mining them prior to that for th three or four years. Now, when you compare it to the history of the United States, which is a relatively young country, yeah, by still, historical standards, it's, yeah, it's still yeah. a drop in the bucket, but... Seven years is in the technological world. That's pretty significant. Yeah. Well, when the technology changes, you know, every six months or so. Well, you know, Bitcoin's you know. been around for over twenty years. So, but you, you know, think about this: personal computers. Personal computers really didn't take off until the late '80s. That's when they got powerful enough to do things, and and they. Uh, I mean, it wasn't until '84 that we started to have computers that were in my in my opinion and I've played with computers since the late 70s I mean since I was like five and six years old because my dad always had them yeah and um, but it wasn't until 83 84 when computers really became functional that they either got like the Macintosh came out in 84 with the graphical user interface and you could actually do digital art and you know you could build publications and 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 
do things that a print shop normally did for you. Right. But even prior to that, in the early 80s, when we just had like a, a DOS computers and Commodore 64s, they were had word processors. I remember doing school papers and stuff and typing them up in the word processor and printing. WordPerfect was, I used WordPerfect on everything. <sighs> And you know, and printing them off on a dot matrix printer, and it looked good. It was better than my handwriting. <laughs> Again, low bar. Yeah, yeah, low <laughs> bar. <laughs> but you know, once once we got into about eighty six, eighty seven, that's you know, yeah, computers got that much better that faster, and then you know, we were really cooking with gas with the things we could do with them, and then you know, you you come to the next decade and. And uh, things just progressed extremely, extremely fast. Businesses went from having, you know, oh, the accountant has a computer, or only the marketing department uses computers because they, you know, do page layout and, you know, they're, they're our in-house uh, print shop. Yeah. To everybody had a computer on their desk with email and, you know, we, we put all of our, our shared files out on a file server and things like that. Not today, we put it out in the cloud, you know? Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, that's a whole nother discussion. Yeah. <laughs> but that being said, Intel's building, they've taken the time, they've designed the chip, they obviously have already built some of these ASICs to test them, to understand that they're a thousand times faster than a general purpose processor for doing... Uh, It, well, they're a thousand times better performance per watt than mainstream GPUs is what they're shooting for. So the idea is to make crypto mining more sustainable. You can get more hash power without increasing the output of energy, in, or with while decreasing the energy input to do it. Here's the part of, of crypto that I've never really, I mean, I, I, I get the, the idea of it, it's the execution of it that uh -huh. bugs me. So when you when you when you talk about crypto mining, you're talking about allowing the crypto company to use your processing power to manage the transactions, and you get a piece of the transactions. So Is that it, how that it's works? It's not like what, that. There, there's no. How does that really work? There's no crypto company per se for any of the coins. Yeah, there. Are, for lack of a. There are organizations who who are like standards bodies for, you know, who make the changes to the coin. Um, they don't uh, necessarily host the infrastructure. People host. Some people host. The network part of it, depending on how the coin is set up, that that manages the blockchain, uh -huh. you know, the distributed uh, ledger that controls the transactions. And there's two types of crypto mining, typically. There's proof of work and there's proof of stake. Proof of work crypto mining, when you mine crypto, so Ethereum Classic is a proof of work. So when I mine crypto, all the, the, uh, the, uh, transaction or the the hashes that I in decrypt that is that actually it, now I mine in a pool and so the companies who decide to put up mining 
mining pools or they're the ones who are hosting the mining network, the distributed nodes across the world. Would you call that a crypto company? Yes, but they're not, it's not crypto like, like Nanopool doesn't own Ethereum Classic. They host well, a mining pool and the networking. U.S. Bank doesn't own the U.S. dollar. Yeah, but they're not a bank either. But, but, which is why I call them a crypto yeah. company. So what they do is I get, well, in the case of like Ethereum Classic, I get 99% of all the proceeds of what I mine, and they get 1% as a fee. Okay. Now that, here's 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 approved. where I, here's where I struggle with that because that's 100% of the transaction. Yeah. How's the transaction work? If 100% of the transaction is already gobbled up between your 99% and that's because I'm they're putting wrong. the power to generate the cryptocurrency to create the coins and and most most cryptocurrencies has a set limit to the number of coins that can be in circulation at any given time. Because if you had an unlimited amount, somebody would just come in and blow it all up and then it would the, the value would drop to zero. Right, which is what's happening with the US dollar. Correct. <laughs> US dollar, Canadian dollar, British pound, French franc. Just saying. Yeah. Yen. <laughs> um, but that's proof of work. So the, the thing is, is I'm... But you, you haven't actually answered my question. My question is, is if 100% of the transaction is split up between your 99% and the company's 1%, what's the transaction? So clearly, person A has spent uh, their fraction of a coin uh-huh. with person B. So you're in the middle managing that transaction, man- yes? I, no, I'm not managing. Not necessarily. I mean, those transactions do happen. But in proof of work, everybody is a miner. And, and the reason it is, what happens is... So where's the value? Well, the, it's the difficulty in creating the, the transaction. Between whom? Between you and... Because in, in pool mining, it's individual mining, um, you get... It depends on who you are, but most individual miners, if like you're just mining a coin, you're you're doing the proof of work and then it, it gets deposited. But what you're doing is you're 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 decrypting a block of or encrypting a block of information. And the more information for whom for the network for the distributed ledger. I'm trying to understand where the value gets added. I get where the value comes out. Because you're, you're, you're. Somebody has to contribute something that's, that's your payment, what they're paying for. Correct. What, what they're paying for is the cryptological trans, uh, compute transaction that's going on. And so it made up of a lot of transactions to do the compute part. And then there's a block. And once a block has been done, then that block is marked complete, meaning it's been written to the ledger, it's been checked by the ledger, or it's been validated by another group of people or or computers out there. And that encryption decryption process is complete. And so your contribution of coin is based upon how many of those blocks you do. It's kind of like a video game that you don't 
actively participate. <laughs> okay. Now, pr let me go on to what uh, proof of stake is. Okay. Proof of stake is kind of the opposite part. You're getting a portion of the transactions that move through the network where people are. That makes sense. Yeah. And you do get that in proof of work as well. You get a portion of that. But the majority of what you make is in the work that you do doing the cryptographic compute. I'm really struggling with that. Well, because the cryptographic compute part is what's creating the currency. You can't see my air quotes, the currency, because it's a logical construct. So this is the, uh, the virtual equivalent of Printing the U.S. Dollar. Mint. Yes. That seems highly unstable. It is, but it isn't. Because you, you're creating, you're doing the cryptographic work to create the, the currency, that, you know, to print that dollar bill. Um, that's why the term coin comes in. Right. You're, you're creating a coin, a token, um, that has value that you can then trade for other things. Uh, you also do, like I said, in proof of work, but that's not where you get the majority of your profit from. Like right now, Bitcoin... The people who process can process Bitcoin because there's, there's no more Bitcoin being mined, per se. There's only a set amount of, of coins in, in Bitcoin. And so all the Bitcoin that's out there is the transactions back and forth. And some of those transactions are like, you take your Ethereum and I need, I, I'm going to put it in Bitcoin. So I'm going to convert, you know, it'd be like changing a Canadian dollar for American money. Right, you know? And so there's a conversion process. And so that transaction, there's a fee that's part of that cryptographic. Okay. And so that, that's also where you, you, if you're processing those cryptographic, you're getting that. That's, that's the piece I didn't understand yeah. because it didn't seem to me like there was an input of value. And it was just like, it was like the, the, uh, What's the 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 underpants uh, theorem from South Park? Oh. Yeah, I have an idea. Question mark. Profit. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't. Yeah. What's the where's the value coming from? I mean, I, I understand that that your whatever work your your machine is doing in in the mining process is is has a value. Yeah. But, but you didn't know what, depending on how it works. Yeah, and what you're actually and so doing. What happens a lot of times is a lot of coins start off as proof of work. So you have people mining and doing the cryptographical transactions that create the number of tokens that are allowed in, in that coin. Right. Um, and then they move to proof of stake, meaning that all the coins have been minted. What you have is what you have. So the way you're going to make money is when people start exchanging them for other goods and services. So how does Bitcoin, for example, decide, okay, we've mined enough? They, well, usually the, the organizations who created that standard, um, they decide in the beginning, kind of on consensus. And, and so some, some, it's super complicated depending on the coins that you're involved in and stuff because there's also stable coins. But what makes this any different than, than the Federal Reserve? Because there's no single 
entity. So one, the organizations who set the standards on the coin, they don't control, they may control the, the, the supply, but once it's like a, it's like a binary decision though. They, they make the decision when there's, you know, and usually early on, the, the group who, who designed the protocol to create that coin, um, they determine that, you know, we're only gonna do 1.6 million coins total. And then after that, we'll move to proof of work or proof of stake. Um, they don't change it willy-nilly. And sometimes when changes have been made to certain coins, like Ethereum and Ethereum Classic is a good, um, Ethereum, Ethereum, which came from Ethereum Classic, because it was, it's kind of funny. So it split off because it was trying to, uh, Ethereum Classic was originally Ethereum. Then they became Ethereum Classic because the, another branch of the Ethereum group who, who they decided there were some security issues they wanted to address because there were some things that made the market even more unstable. Um, like you could, there was a way to, uh, basically bring up a whole bunch of, uh, this happened a couple summers ago, like you could rent compute to mine. And so what they were doing is they destabilized the whole Ethereum network and made the coins worthless because a group decided to go to a cloud provider who did mining and they rented a whole bunch of mining and they they basically mined a ton of, of, uh, of coins but they created a DDoS and were across the rest of the mining network for Ethereum Classic. So Ethereum Classic then had to had the, the, the group who... So you're talking about counterfeiting. Correct. Um, the group had to go in and, and modify from a software perspective the protocol and how everything works so that that could be taken advantage of again. And that's the split. So Ethereum did that at one point and then Ethereum also is now moving from proof of work to proof of stake, which it does really stabilize the value of the coin at some point, but it means that you can't make as much money because there, there is, there's elasticity in the economics of crypto coins too because there's, there's a level of difficulty as the cryptographic transactions grow that make it harder to mine more coins. That's the other thing that most crypto coins have built into their algorithms is that, you know, you, the transactions grow and grow, so you don't, you can mine them longer, essentially, because if it were static and it was this length, yeah. you would hit your, your limit at some point. But also, like when you go to proof of stake, there is the fees to do a transaction are elastic based upon supply and demand. And Bitcoin's really bad at this. If there's a lot of demand, the fees get really big. Like you can pay forty percent of your transaction in a fee, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> and and uh, well, and again, now let's let's bring this back to Walmart. Yeah. Because now you just brought up a very interesting point. Um, how does how does that work? If uh, if I'm paying in Bitcoin, so so what it essentially does is you know these these uh, debit cards that are tied to a uh, 
crypto account and Coinbase is a good example. If you watch the Super Bowl, everybody saw the Coinbase commercial. They actually ended up having it. They DDoS themselves because of, of marketing. Of course. There's so many people who tried to create accounts in Coinbase yep. after the Super Bowl that basically it brought the network down. Um, but they're one of the ones who offers a card. They also do direct deposit to your bank account. And so what they do is they convert it to U.S. to fiat currency and then deposit it. So it, so you tell them, like, I'm going to use the coins in my Bitcoin account to pay for whatever I charge on this card. That seems awfully uh, hard to, to manage. It's fairly easy. Uh, and what I mean by that is, is I go to the store, I pick up a loaf of bread for a buck, I know it's going to cost me a buck in U.S. dollars. Yes. I go to the ca- the cash register, I pay my dollar, and I, I walk out the door. If I'm paying in Bitcoin with a card, I'm talking about a transaction where I have to know the exchange rate plus the fee nope. in order to, to understand how much I'm actually paying for the bread. Yeah, so the, typically... The, in reality. Yeah, in reality. And typically the fees are no different than if you had, were using a, a credit card at, you know, to pay for your thing. So it might be... But I'm a debit guy. I, 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 well, even if you're using a debit card, in some place, if you use it as a debit card, you're paying some kind of transaction fee with your bank to, to process it as a p- input PIN. If you're using it as a credit card... The store pays the four percent fee or whatever. I'm gonna say most banks did away with that. And you'd be surprised how many who have not. I mean, you, you, your little local U.S. Bank and Fifth Third. Now, Fifth Third is getting rid of that, but U.S. Bank, uh, Chase, they're they still will charge you a fee for inputting your pin. There's also a good reason never to use input your PIN on a transaction like that. Uh, most people don't realize that if you use it as a MasterCard or Visa, depending on whatever card you have, you actually get fraud protection from MasterCard and Visa for right. if you put your PIN in, you get no fraud protection. So if that they empty your bank account out, they empty your bank account out. The bank has no obligation in most cases to do anything about it. Now, most banks I've I've dealt with who've done there. Frankly, they, they will do it. Fifth Third, I know, will will cover you. U.S. Bank has. Yeah. But just be aware, that's another reason why not to use your PIN in, for those transactions. And, again, I say it's like a debit card. It's, it's a MasterCard. You're going to use it like a MasterCard. So there's a fee. What I'm getting at, though, is, is that when, you, when you're making the purchase, you don't know how much you're actually paying for the loaf of bread. You're paying a dollar. If the cost for the loaf of bread was 99 cents, you're paying whatever the dollar in taxes for it. All that happens is in the back end, at like Coinbase, if you're using a Coinbase card, it's going to take that out of your, you know, whatever crypto wallet. Each currency, they call it a wallet. So if you say, I want all of it to come out of this wallet, 
it'll pull it out of that wallet first. And usually the, if you go in, they all have apps just like your bank does. Um, my, my point is, is that I understand that there would be an exchange rate between the coin and the U.S. dollar. But the fee is always an add-on. So you're going to be paying more for the loaf of bread with a coin than you are with a U.S. dollar. Possibly. It depends on what you're, you're using. Because some currencies, there's no fee, just like... Well, I mean, now you're talking about the exchange rate between a coin and, and the yeah. U.S. dollar, which I get. You can, you can ultimately get out ahead of that. But you could actually lose money. Yeah in that transaction is what I'm getting at. Yeah. And you don't know that when you're buying your loaf of bread. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's just like a credit card in that respect. Well, I mean, it's more like, I would think it'd be more like uh, using your credit card in Canada. Yeah, exactly. You know, you don't know what the exchange rate is. Yeah. Well, I mean, unless you do, but... But, I mean, the apps that they have, they, they do a good job of telling you what the exchange rate is. Like, you can go in and look at it. Oh, I'm, you know. And you get a feel for it. There's also stable coins, which are kind of weird. I, I'm not, I, I understand what they do. I'm not entirely, it's like, I don't, you don't mine a stable coin. It's like, the network was created, and it's like a holding. So, stable coins, uh, DAI, D-A-I, the U.S. dollar coin, which is not run by the U.S. government, but it's called the U.S. dollar coin. They're... <clears throat> If you put a dollar, you, you convert a dollar of a another cryptocurrency into a stable coin, you get a dollar's worth and it's guaranteed. So as the market fluctuates, what you put in that stable coin does not. And like some of them, like the DAI. That seems to be uh, more akin to like the conservative investments. Correct. And, and the funny thing about like some of these stable coins like DAI, DAI, is that they actually pay you a percentage if you keep money in them, an annual percentage rate. It's not high. It's like, well, it's, I but mean, it's, like, it's, it's as good like as your, your savings your bank. account. Yeah, I was just yeah. going to say, as with savings it's as good account as savings account, account at your bank. God, and, uh, horrible with that. But the, the whole idea of the stable coins is so like, say there's a run on uh, Ethereum and it doubles in value in a day. So your, your Ethereum account doubled in value, so you could take that much out of your Ethereum account, put it in one of the stable coins, and you, that way you keep the, whether Ethereum goes up or drops down again, you still keep the, you know, it. it Not too unlike a certificate of deposit. Correct. It's a very conservative investment where correct. you could park your money and still make a little something, but it's not near as risky. Correct. I get that. Yep. Yep. I mean, it, it's like an, a digital analog to to the current stock exchanges and banking regulate you know, banks. Um, and like I said, the only thing that, that is a little bit different is, and the reason I say it's different is because crypto coin has a direct monetary value, which sometimes 
stocks and 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 well it always has a value futures yeah but futures don't don't that's what but stock does stock does but futures don't have a value and futures are very volatile right some coins they have a perceived value i yeah. should say some coins are more like futures and some coins are more like stocks well you that's like anything you yeah. have to be smart about what you're investing in yeah i mean it's it's and not it's, for the it's kind of part. funny you know um i like the reason I got into crypto was not because I was looking for another revenue stream. <clears throat> it's because I like to play with computers, and I'm fascinated by cryptography. Hence. So that's why I started doing it, because it was a way to play with it and see. And, and you know, it's also, I won't say I've made a lot of money on it, but it's been a net zero sum, essentially, because I've made an, all the money back that I've invested in crypto because I have not, I have not bought any crypto at all. Everything, all the crypto I have, has been mined, and so, you know, I own ten or eleven different cryptocurrencies, um, small amounts. But over time, I've mined enough to cover the cost of all the computer equipment and the power that I've put into it. So it's been net zero sum. But the learning experience for me has been great. I know some people. They do mine because they're computer geeks too, but they play the crypto stock market game, you know. And uh, I know one guy who he takes like two hundred dollars a month out of his paycheck, and he invests in various cryptocurrencies. Um, for him, that's fun, you know, the whole idea of of having it. Um, My the, my the level of risk I would rather take is is mine my own, <laughs> because at least at the end of the day, the only thing I'm out is the cost for the hardware and maybe the electricity to run it. You know, <clears throat> as opposed to I work real for dollars. This, I, yeah. I worked for this real cash and I gave it. You know, I lost it all. <laughs> because it but that's that's the same risk you take in the stock market. Very true. Very true. I mean, your four hundred one k is is like that too. I mean, yeah. it's. Well, the, the, the problem with the stock market versus crypto today is, for the most part, most of the, if you invest in a, even a, what's called, a, you know, a high risk. Um, Investment. Well, uh, what's the word I'm, where, you know, the. Where they group a whole bunch of, of stocks together, and then you invest in that funds, yeah. or you invest in a high a high risk fund. Yeah, um, those are still more conservative than some of the investing in some of the cryptocurrencies, because most of the funds, yeah, you might have one stock that day who does bad, so it drops the value of the fund, but it's it's it might drop it two or three percent at the worst case, like. You know, something died, right? And the fund had twenty percent of the value in that. <clears throat> in a cryptocurrency, there's no funds. <laughs> You're investing in an individual currency. So, you know, like I said, if if you own a Bitcoin and it loses four percent in a day, and it's worth forty thousand dollars, you know, the perceived loss is huge. Now, if you look at it in the long run, it's like, well, you know. But again, that's 
crypto will eventually find a way to 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 get into mutual funds. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's that's well. The, the funny thing is, is, mutual funds are now starting to be put together with crypto as part of the mutual fund. So that's, we're ameliorating the risk on the on the crypto side with the yeah the more stable stocks. Right. You know. But it, it, it in large part, it's just like I said before, a digital version of something that's largely a another logical construct <laughs> it's a digital logical it's meta versus uh, you leave the facebook out of it <laughs> the whole <laughs> but i don't know let us know what you think we uh did you learn something that's the question I'm asking the asking the asking the people. Yeah. Did you learn something? Because I learned something there. Well, that's good. I'm glad you learned. I learned something. I learned how to explain it a little bit better. I mean, I. Yeah. Well, I, that's that's the I, purpose the, of these the, things. The problem is, is I know it's such a technical level. I, you know, I'm thinking, well, I can't explain. Well, how do I explain this to Matt in such a way that's why that you he, have me here? Because he doesn't know this, 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 and this. <laughs> I, I'm not an idiot, but there are yeah. some there are limits to my my experience and, and knowledge. So yeah. there you go. I mean, it's it, that's why I don't run for Congress. Uh, I'm, I'm smart enough to know that I don't know everything. There you go. But but you're not smart enough not to be the man behind the man. Behind the man. Yeah. Behind the man. <laughs> So send us some feedback. That's gizmosapiens at gmail.com, and we'll see you on the digital flip side. You've been listening to Gizmo Sapiens, a technology and entertainment podcast. You can reach us at our email address at gizmosapiens at gmail.com. That's G-I-Z-M-O-S-A-P-I-E-N-S at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you, and we'll see you next week from the digital flip side.